0: In our last episode, we spoke with John Awada, Brittany Paxman, and Dan Nessel about the advent of generative AI, what it is, and what most people misunderstand about it. If you haven't already listened to that episode, I suggest you start there. Now we're picking up where we left off, with a conversation about how generative AI might affect professional communicators. I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is The New CCO. Rivet360 has been working with Page to bring you the new CCO for more than six years. And that goes way beyond just editing and production. They're true thought partners, helping us develop our show's unique voice and identity, brainstorm ideas, and tell, well, riveting stories. To me, that's what makes them and our show so special. They're storytellers first and foremost. And as communicators, I know we can all appreciate the value of a story well told. So if you're thinking about launching a podcast, or you have one that needs some fresh ideas, visit rivet360.com to book a free consultation. I want to talk a little bit about AI's impact on the CCO and the function that she leads. I guess a good place to begin is, are you using AI in your work? And if so, how are you using it? Dan, let's start with you.
1: I'm using it. I will just put it out there and the ways in which I'm using it, I think, are, are evolving. I think, like a lot of people who, I guess, you know, you can consider early adopters of these kinds of technologies. You know, I like to jump on these things. I like to see, like, when something innovative and, and interesting comes along. I'm, I'm a bright shiny object chaser. I admit this. But this one was a little different, and you could see immediately that the implications on, you know, how we do our work, right? At, at least, and as I mentioned earlier, certainly at the lower levels um, or at the lower level of the value chain, where you're just talking about generating you know, kind of what we call the grunt work of communications, I suppose, your summaries, your social media posts, your press releases, and so on, you know, memos can all be really greatly assisted now by these things. So to to answer the question, yes, I use various types of generative, well, you know, primarily chat GPT, but a few other tools as well to try to create some of these, these types of internal communications and, and, uh, Baseline kind of drafts for what we might want to do for external viewing or external content, um, which I hope a lot of people are are kind of considering, you know, using these as drafts only. So so yeah, we're using it, but company wide, it's a much it's a much larger initiative. So we have the generative AI that really comes in handy for us, us communicators and and, and markers, and that the CCOs absolutely need to kind of embrace in their own way or watch. But there's also the Tremendous implications for code and for um, for automation and for other business processes and for cons- uh, for customer experience, uh, for for CRM that the marketing teams, the digital teams, that you know the engineers are are really starting to embrace more and more. You know, it started with low code, no code, uh, which sort of coincided with G- ChatGPT, but maybe you know a little bit before that as a precursor. Now you don't even need the low-code part. You just have no code. And natural language gets you the app, gets you the, the result. So, you know, in my work, yeah, I'm using primarily generative AI. Now i doing a lot more with images because I think there's a lot of development in that area that can help us um, with certain types of design. Uh, but, you know, I think writ large, organizations as a whole have to see this as an integrated kind of a holistic picture of how we're grasping what we can do with AI.
0: So then, would you say net-net, that's been positive? Those tools have been helpful in those ways?
1: No word, yes. Net-net, it has, it has been helpful and positive. We are creating more with less. Uh, we are generating activity, written activity for, on behalf of our, of our executives, for example, that to volumes that we weren't able to do before with fewer people. We're saving on agency fees. I mean, it's very clear that net debt—it's it's quite positive, and the organization as a whole has embraced it. So there's an internal renaissance of development happening, definitely in the Japan at the Japan side, um, but internal. I think just tremendously innovative minds are being released and let play on closed sandboxes, you know, that are safe spaces to. To try new things and to experiment.
0: Brittany, what about you?
2: We are using AI as well. In similar ways, as an analytics company, we do a lot of predictive analytics. So some of what maybe isn't considered generative AI, but uh, building models for our clients, we're doing a lot of that um, on our systems. And we are using it. I mean, I like to use some of the AI design tools to make my PowerPoint presentations a little bit better, you know, things like that. Microsoft even has a couple of little built-in design features. I'm not sure you'd quite call them AI, but, you know, they're they're in that direction um, that I think are really helpful. But we are very cautious also. We are very concerned about the legalities as a services firm. You know, we are operating on behalf of our clients and we are very concerned about, you know, protecting confidentiality, you know, protecting legalities. You know, one of the big legal questions today is right, if you generate something that was trained on someone else's copyrighted work, who owns the output of that? And so we are um, very cautious about how we use it. We're, I think, using it more on the math side, where um, it's not so much the chat GPTs, but it's more the systems that we control. Uh, but I see a lot of clients doing really innovative things where they are building their own, just like Dan said, sandboxes internally internally. And that I think is a huge area of opportunity because you can then be putting in confidential information. A client I was talking to recently talked about how they clear the training data every 24 hours. And so they feel more confident internally in that tool, in feeding it something and not worrying that that information that they gave it is going to you know leave the walls of the organization. Um, But yeah, you know, we're certainly using it to help write some insights, generate some content, but my favorite uses still are are the math, the math uses.
1: I did want to add based on, you know, some of the issues that Brittany brought up, you know, we're very excited about AI and certainly the way that we use it to create new things. But precisely what, what Brittany said, we have to be very careful about the potential copyright issues, the legal issues. So we don't, first of all, we do not put any, I guess, Proprietary data into any of the AI engines, unless it's in that internal sandbox. We have rules about this across the company. We absolutely do not put out pure AI content and say that it's that it's human created. Um, in fact, we don't put out pure AI content at all. So when we do use it, it's it's as a, a checking mechanism, as a you know as, a, as an ideator, you know, something to help us get started, um, and then perhaps as something to really even the, the earlier uses of generative AI and earlier is like six months ago, but still editing um, style points, making sure it's AP style, for example, or AP compliant, that kind of thing. So in those instances, we're not, you know, we're not really, I think using it to, to miss, we're not misrepresenting our use um, of it at all. I think it's really just about, about that really utility player intern that I, w- that I was talking about before. But yeah, if if, if we're using images, we also don't put those out in the public unless, you know, we're starting to consider some of the Adobe Firefly things because the Adobe Firefly, have said that there are no, I guess, uh, copyright issues with their work, but yeah, anything else we create, it's for, it's for like PowerPoints for internal stuff and for, for town halls and things like this that are for internal use that we can save on, you know, if somebody wants to create a a transitional graphic, for example, why go and spend hundreds of dollars on that when I could do one in 15 seconds.
0: John, I know you're not currently in a CCO role. I wonder what ways are you using AI today, if you are? And also, you know, if you can kind of imagine yourself back in that CCO seat, how would you be enabling your team to use it, experiment with it, uh, and be responsible with it.
3: I think that I would be encouraging them to explore its use within, you know, in, in a safe way, as, as we've just heard. I, I think that it is enormous potential here for productivity enhancement and, and scaling. If I were an agency, I would be quite concerned about you know, how much work that we previously did is now going to be done by the client using using generative AI. I think that's a very well-placed concern. I've heard it from agency leaders and I've, I've seen it um, in, in practice. Um, one comment about the usefulness of generative AI to professions like marketing and communications and others like, like, uh, like coding is people say, well, you can't trust what's coming out of um, generative AI because it's not factually true. That may be the case until controls were put in or there are private models built, as Brittany said. However, think about how many jobs and tasks exist in the world today that do not require fact-based content, right? I mean, I mean if, if you ask a consulting firm for a, a set of strategies, you know, there isn't one that is correct. They don't bring you one because all the facts point to one. They're going to bring you several because they're all alternatives, If you ask a marketing or PR firm for campaign ideas or or positioning ideas, there isn't a fact-based recommendation that that says you have to go with this one. It's it's, It's all considered. It's thought through. There are many alternatives. And of course, in our field, the creative field, and I would put software in there too, You know, there are many ways to write everything from a press release to the CEO's uh, shareholder letter to social media content. The the risk here, among others, is the sameness that may result, right? I mean, it is by definition derivative. Now, uh, one one moment of lamentation here is uh, how many shareholder letters have you read (laughs) that that, you know, why, why is Warren Buffett's letter admired and so hard to, to, to duplicate? Try, try drafting something that's conversational, folksy, candid, honest, transparent, and get that past, you know, the decision makers in your typical C-suite. I know, but, you know, shareholder letters tend to sound that way because they sound that way and earnings releases sound that way. So on the one hand, huge productivity because press releases, you know, earnings releases and shareholder letters and M&A announcements all have a kind of sameness to them. Generative AI is ideal for that. However, if you are looking for something that is more authentic, more true to your voice style, something that is original, by definition, you know, that's probably not a good tool to use for that purpose. I had a conversation with uh, somebody in the entertainment business about gen AI was quite a few months ago. And she says it's, it's turning Hollywood upside down because it is so useful. And she, she put it this way. Do you know how many pitches we sit through every day where somebody says, it's like Downton Abbey meets Top Gun, or it's like, you know, the Avengers meets Toy Story. <laughs> Um, Why? Because Hollywood bankrolls successes. They don't want to take a chance on a story or a storyline or a cast or a director or marketing campaigns that have never existed before. And her point was, it is generative. I mean, it it is ideal for that. And you don't have to sit through all these pitch meetings, which are pretty, you know, pretty. I thought that made a lot of sense. Now, you know, what's the point? I'm, I'm, I'm back to this. There are lots of useful things in the world today that do not require, you know, the kind of fat, fact-based accuracy that you would expect in medicine, or 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 you know, defense or other things. And I think this is why um, generative AI is going to be m- is being massively adopted, and rightly so.
0: Hey John, it's an interesting example you give about Hollywood. You know, it draws very clearly the distinction between. Can we produce a viable entertainment product, which is all those same pitches? And can we produce a piece of really meaningful art? And those are two different objectives that might suggest different approaches. I do wonder, though, as CCOs think about the function writ large and the teams that they lead, we're talking a lot about AI's ability to do a lot of the grunt work or create scale and speed in ways that we couldn't before, uh, a lot of people would read that as uh, there are going to be some jobs going away, or at a minimum, there are going to be some jobs that are changing quite a lot. What are your thoughts about that? Are are we looking at wide-scale job displacement in our profession?
1: I fundamentally agree that it's not about all these jobs are going to go away. It's really about the shift in... You know what these jobs become, or what new roles are going to be created, and you can't, you, you don't know what those are going to be. I feel like most people who are in roles now are, are looking at the one year, two year, three year horizon and panicking and thinking, "Oh my gosh, what am I going to do?" But w- we we simply don't know what the five year, or seven year, or ten year horizon is because you know you you can only think about what you have in front of you now. But if you look at it from like more of an abundance mentality and thinking, "Okay, things, everything's going to change," so I have to assume that it's not a zero-sum game, that I'm going to start where I start, but things things will fall into place or there will be different paths available. You know, the most important thing is to start to build knowledge and understanding of all these tools to, to get yourself up to speed and understand that new opportunities are going to happen, but current opportunities or old opportunities will go away. You know, um, it's uh, and, it, and it is difficult to describe exactly what that's going to be. Like I was thinking about as John was speaking, like what what happens with doctors, right? So doctors, you know, that's a profession. Medi- medicine has been a profession that's been you know really ravaged over the years uh, in many ways. But still, doctors are, are incredibly knowledgeable, very you know respected, important people that have to heal us. A few years ago, you'd, you'd feel a symptom, you'd, you'd have a you'd have a little bump on your arm, and you'd go to WebMD, and then suddenly you're running around trying to get a cancer diagnosis. Now, though, with ChatGPT, with the proper prompting and with very thorough information, you can approximate a very, very good diagnosis um, at home with relatively good confidence that you can then bring to the doctor and say, here, look, here's what I'm thinking. I mean, it takes a certain degree of of work to make that happen. But the the output is, I think, a little bit more personalized and trusted, depending on what you input than it even was just a few months ago with like with with the web MDs of the world, and you know your doctors, you know, potentially doctors can say, well, we're going to save a whole lot of time. and you know these these little things people come to us with. It's you know it'll be easier to help them. On the other hand, you'd also run the risk of people misdiagnosing themselves and doing doing silly things like they always do. But I think that's always the case. So the profession changes. Everything changes about you know in our profession and communications. These are tools that that cut into the core of what has traditionally been thought of as the core communication skills of writing, of creation, but it doesn't cut into the human analysis. We still need that. We need to understand the nuances of, of interactivity between our stakeholders, between and among our stakeholders and, and within our companies and amongst each other that there's no way these tools can do yet, you know, so, so those those won't go away. It's a matter of how do you fulfill your obligation of easing those communications, or influencing those communications, or 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 you know, fostering those interactions, and and defending and and defending reputations, building reputations. Um, now you have some more tools available to do it. The the rules are changing. the The roles are changing because there's different tasks, as John says. But fundamentally, yeah, it's uh, it is um, it's that core set of skills that's that's being you know kind of uh, you know, disrupted uh, and and CCOs all of us we need to understand how, what that means and how to, how to then kind of embrace it, compensate for it, develop new skills and new opportunities in new areas. And this is a new way for us to contribute to businesses and to, to say look, I am now able to to produce a, a, a legitimate savings, to, to affect the bottom line, because I've been able to streamline our workflows, or I've been able to produce this this, this kind of content. You know, I've been able to cope with the changes in, in search, because I know that people are searching differently using, uh, using these tools. So there's a lot of ways that we can continue, we should continue to evolve and, and contribute. Um, but yeah, our jobs are going to change. If, if you don't think differently, they will go away. So think differently. I don't know. John John might be familiar with that expression, but, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, it's a long way of saying that, you know, we have to be flexible and open-minded about this whole thing. Brittany, what are your thoughts?
2: Maybe I'll just say being a lifelong learner is really, really important. And to bring it back to communication specifically, you know, I think 30 years ago, you didn't really need to be digital. If you are not digital today, you're, very likely not in a great spot. So uh, I think the people who are going to have the jobs and the communications functions that are going to be most successful are the people who are willing to learn and the people who have the skill of learning. Like learning itself is a skill. And I would say when you're building teams, when you're hiring, I would look for people who are good at learning new things. I believe historically oftentimes new technology just raises the expectations. And an example of that uh, is the vacuum cleaner. When the vacuum cleaner was created, people thought this is going to free especially women up. They're not going to have to spend so much time cleaning homes. And what ended up happening for a lot of women is it just raised the standards of cleanliness. And so they're having to spend more time cleaning and there was more judgment around how clean your home was because now you have these tools. And so I think if we look at that from a business perspective, a lot of times, if something is allowing us to do something a lot faster, it could just mean that the standards become higher, both for competency and the standards for output. So if these tools are amazing at graphic design, Well, now your tolerance for looking at an ugly PowerPoint presentation are going to be a lot lower. And you're going to expect that every single PowerPoint presentation that you see looks amazing. And so it can really increase requirements and not necessarily decrease work.
0: That's it for this episode. In our next and the last of our three-part series, what is the future of AI and what are its implications for our profession?
2: I think it means that generalists will be really important and more valuable because we are in a world of specialists, especially the marketing profession has really moved towards specialization. I mean, you see some of these job descriptions and it's like, we need a social media paid media buyer for Instagram in the mornings, right? It's like very specific roles. And that early specialization, I think, creates a lot of silos and problems.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. If you liked it, leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to subscribe. That way, you'll get a notification every time we drop a new episode. Special thanks to Rivet360, our podcast partner. Without their support, we simply could not bring you this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on The New CCO.